Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we come before you into your presence, which is always with us. We thank you that your spirit indwells us for those of us who who know you, who are called by your name. And Father, we're grateful that you are holy and pure and perfect and that you love us with a steadfast love that never fails. And Lord, many times we find ourselves um, not trusting you, not following wholeheartedly after you, and we find ourselves in folly and foolishness and sin. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word that is both a rebuke and an encouragement to us. Father, we pray right now that you would teach us by your spirit, that you would help us to be attentive to your word, and Father, that Christ would be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be looking. um, I told Bob one thing, and then I changed directions on him. So um, what we're going to do is we're going to actually focus on Genesis 29, 31, through Genesis 30, verse 24. We're not going to get into the whole issue of the flocks and all that. We're going to focus on the rivalry of two wives. If we look at Genesis chapter 28... We have these wonderful promises. We have a blessing from Isaac for his son before he leaves for Padanaram. And then we have this incredible promise after Jacob has this vision of a ladder in which angels are going up and down into heaven. And God makes an incredible promise to him. So we're going to look at those promises and then we're going to move on from there. Genesis 28, verse 3. God Almighty... This is Isaac talking to his son before he leaves. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. So Isaac blesses Jacob and asks God to make him fruitful and to make him a a, a group of many peoples and that he would have the land that God had promised Abraham and that the promised seed would continue through Abraham, Isaac, on and through Jacob. Then in that same chapter, verse 13, we see the Lord as he's having this vision of the angels going up and down this ladder God speaks to him in verse 13. And behold, the Lord God stood up, stood above and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth Be blessed. What an incredible promise made by God to a man who was a deceiver. To a man who had shown himself to be of not great character as he stole his birthright, the birthright of his brother, took the blessing from his blind father, tricked him. Here God makes an unconditional promise to Jacob. 
Now that alone should give us hope, friends, that God makes these kind of promises to sinful people because that is who we are. So we rejoice in that. So, but as we read these, this blessing and this promise, our hearts soar with great hope and grand visions of the righteous generations that will come forth, walking in the ways of the Lord and the wonderful stories of faithfulness. And we think about Abraham's faithfulness to try to sacrifice Isaac. We think of Isaac's faithfulness to pray for his wife, Rebecca. And so here we are soaring at 35,000 feet, and all of a sudden, in, verse, in chapter 29 and 30, we're going to zoom down and pull back the flap of a tent. And we're going to look inside, and we're going to see an episode of Days of Our Wives. Genesis 29, 31. I'll, I'll read the parts that Bob did not read. Genesis 29, 31. So we know what happened. Jacob had, had agreed with Laban to work seven years for the, the woman he loved, Rachel. And so what Laban does is he, he switches sisters on the wedding night. Jacob doesn't realize it and wakes up with Leah. And then the next week he marries Rachel, and now he has both sisters. Verse 31, and when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, and that really hated is not really a good, I mean, we see the scripture where it says, Jacob I love, Esau I hated. It's really saying that, that Rachel was preferred over Leah. Jacob didn't hate Leah, but he, but he, he didn't love her either. He opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I have hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son, and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son, and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. And then we read earlier that Rachel couldn't have children, so she gave her, her handmaid to Jacob, uh, Bilhah to have two children. And then Leah copied that and let Jacob have her handmaid, Zilpah. And he had two more children that way. And then we get to verse 14. And we're almost to a point of scratching and pulling out hair. In the days of the wheat harvest, Reuben, who probably was five or six years old, little guy, went and found mandrakes in the field and brought them to his mother Leah. And mandrakes were viewed as had an aphrodisiacal property. They, they caused passion in the people who ate them, and they caused uh, uh, fertility and conception to take place. Then Rachel said to Leah, please give me some of your son's mandrakes. But she said to her, is it a small matter that you have taken away my husband? Would you take away my son's mandrakes also? You can just... Cut the tension in the air. Rachel said, Then he may lie with you tonight in exchange for your son's mandrakes. 
When Jacob came from the field into the, into the evening, Leah met, went out to meet him and said, You must come in to me, for I have hired you with my son's mandrakes. So he lay with her that night. And God listened to Leah, and she conceived and bore Jacob a fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. So she called his name Issachar. And Leah conceived again. And she bore Jacob a sixth son. And then Leah said, God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. So she called his name Zebulun. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Then God remembered Rachel and God listened to her and opened her womb. She conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph, saying, May the Lord add to me another son. As we watch this take place, the question is, what lessons can we learn from this passage? Here's some lessons, some of them a little humorous, but they are lessons to learn from this passage. We'll get to the more serious lessons in a minute. First, be careful who you choose for a father-in-law. Lesson number one. Lesson number two, keep the lights on during your wedding night. Number three, never marry more than one woman. Number four, never marry two sisters. And then from a famous Christmas movie, um, never try to take a sister, take your sister's man. If you remember the song, Sister, Sisters. Lord, help the sister who comes between me and my man. And we see this with a whole episode of the Mandrakes. Or maybe there's a lesson here. Men, have some convictions and lead your family. As we see here, Jacob is the secondary player. Leah and Rachel are the primary players in this. We want to look first at the idolatry of Leah. As we, look at, as we look at this story, and there's a lot of dirt flying and a lot of confusion and a lot of crazy stuff going on, there is a problem in the heart of Leah and the heart of Rachel. And let's look at Leah first. Notice that Leah longs for Jacob's love. That's the first thing we see here. She agreed to the sister switch with her dad, and she, and she became the bride of Jacob. And Jacob had not loved her before, and Jacob doesn't love her afterward either. And she has this one thing that she wants so desperately to have. And so as we read this story, just think about yourself and ask yourself, what is it that I, I need so desperately? What is it that I want so much that I will pray for it and I will scheme for it and I will do whatever I can to have it. What is that? We all have those things in our life that become so important to us. So here we see Rachel. And as we read the names of Leah, her heart, the names of her children, her heart is revealed. Reuben, what does his name mean? Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. 
she was in a very hard spot. She had tricked Jacob, and now she wanted his love. And we're not condoning what she did in being part of that plot, but we, our heart goes out to her as she, all she wants is his love. And she doesn't seem to be able to get it. And so she thinks, if I can just have children, this will then give me what I've longed for. For now my husband will love me. So when she had Reuben, okay, now he's going to love me. Then we go to Simeon. Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. She viewed God giving her the children as a way to have her prayer answered, which was to draw the heart of Jacob to her. Levi, his name means now, this time my husband will be attached to me because I have borne him three sons. None of us can imagine what it's like to be, to have, to be married and to have competition for the same spouse. The, the challenge of that, the pain of that, the affliction of that is probably more than she thought she could bear. Finally, Judah, there's a little bit of hope. This time I will praise the Lord. She had lost, she had lost track of what was most important. And we're not minimizing the fact that every woman who's married should be loved by her husband. We're not saying that that, that should not be the case. But this had become an obsession with her to the point that she had lost, really, the first love she should have had. We look at the idolatry of Rachel. Rachel, now, so here's Leah. Leah's prolific. She has four sons. And, and she's grateful for the sons, but she's still looking for this prize of her husband's love. Now we look at Rachel. Rachel is the wife that Jacob loves. He's loved her since the moment he saw her. He has worked seven years and it felt like no time at all that he would have her. He has longed for her. He has waited for her. He now has her. And yet, what do we see in her response? She says to Jacob, give me children or I will die. What is the thing that she wants more than anything? What is it that Rachel wants? Rachel wants children. Maybe she thought that if she didn't have children, she would lose Jacob's love. But her focus is on the children. She has been a betrayed woman. Her sister, who she loved, had taken her place on her wedding night. Imagine having to deal with that. Imagine the hurt. Imagine the pain of that. And here her sister is popping out a baby every year or two. And she wants one so bad and she's barren. And it seems like, why is God blessing her? What, look what she did to me. And she, and she comes at her husband and says, listen, if you don't give me a child, I'm going to die. How would you like to be the husband in that scenario? And Jacob gets angry. 
Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel, and he said, I am in the place, am I in the place of God who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? He doesn't have a lot of compassion for her. He just lays it out there. I, I can't do anything. This is God's. God's the one who opens and closes the womb. Yours is closed. Why are you upset with me? I can't do anything about that. Now, so here's a woman who is already, who's already concerned about her having children. She, she wants Jacob's love. She's concerned about the competition with, with, with Leah. And then what does she do? She introduces her handmaid. Does that not make it more confusing? Does that not add another opportunity for her, for her to lose her husband's heart? And she offers Bilhah. She's tried the Hagar method. That didn't work too well the first time. It's not going to work well this time. And so Bilhah goes in to Jacob, and she has two children. She has Dan, and, they, and Dan, his, his name means judge. And so her thinking is, God has judged me. He has, he has judged favorably on my behalf. This is a blessing for me. I will take this child. This will be my child. And I'm going to hang on to this child because now I'm down four to one. Okay? The score's four to one. We've got to get this, keep this straight here. Then Bilhah has another child, Naphtali. And look what she says. With mighty wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister and I have prevailed. Yes! I mean, this is, this is unbelievable what's going on in this household. So now she's, down, she's still down four to two. Then Leah sees what she's done. And Leah is still hoping, if I just have another child for him, he's going to love me. I just need one more child and he'll love me. So she gives Zilpah to Jacob. And Zilpah has um, Gad, which means good fortune, and Asher, which means happy. And then we come to verse 14. And Reuben is out in the field just gathering some plants. And he brings in these mandrakes. And now it's like an explosion takes place. Rachel asks a very polite question. Could I, could I have some of those? Why did she want the mandrakes? I want to have a child. This is what I need. This right here, this little plant, if I take this little plant, this will take care of my problem. Leah, you're not getting anything. I'm giving you nothing because you took my husband from me. So here we see the bitterness. We see the envy. We see the, the fighting going on here in this household. And then Rachel says, okay, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you'll give me some mandrakes, you can sleep with Jacob tonight. Isn't this amazing? So remember Jacob? He's the one who talked to Esau and said, listen, here's a bowl of stew. You can have the bowl of stew, and I'll take your birthright. And for a bowl of stew, Esau sold his birthright. Now, here is Jacob being purchased by Leah, his first wife, for a mess of mandrakes. If you ran a fast-forward film of this section, 
you'd have four tents and one man's just kind of running in between those four tents. Where is the leadership that's here? And so he goes into Leah that night and Leah conceives and she has Issachar. God has given me my wages because I gave my servant to my husband. She viewed this as God paying her back for what she had done with Silpah. A lot of times God blesses us and we think it's for one thing and it's nowhere near that one thing. The reality here is God made a promise to Jacob, didn't he? He promised that he was going to multiply him. And through the sin and the conniving and the plotting and the planning and all the crazy stuff that's going on here, this little hall of shame episode, he is doing what for Jacob? He is building his household. Issachar. And then Zebulun. God has endowed me with a good endowment. Now my husband will honor me because I have borne him six sons. And then she had Dinah. So six sons and a daughter for Leah. Two for Zilpah. Two for, two for Bilhah. Still, Rachel is there. The mandrakes didn't work. Her idol was to have children. This was the focus of her life. Finally, Rachel has a child. God listens to her and opens her womb. And she gives him Joseph. And we know the story of Joseph. And now we understand the backstory of why Joseph was hated by all his brothers. Can you imagine the amount of conflict going on in this household. And Jacob loved Joseph, didn't he? Because he loved Rachel. So here we have all this going on, all this drama going on between the family, all the conflict going on. Let's talk about the problem of idolatry. Because this is what this really is. Idolatry, number one, is revealed in what we are anxious about, discouraged about, think about all the time, what we are consumed with, what we are seeking to acquire, and if we can just get this, whatever this is, if we can just get this, then we're going to be happy. Inside this tent, as we open the flap, there is no joy in this tent. Jacob is not joyful. Rachel and Leah aren't joyful. The children are not going to be joyful. Because what's happened is something has become so important that it must be acquired no matter what the cost. And we watch these two women fighting for the affection of one man. One thinking it will be with the children, which she, she'll never, never going to have his, his, his attention, his affection. And the other one will still have his affection, but she's still not going to be happy until she has these children. What is it in your life? What is it that takes your day from a joyful day to a sad day? What is it that goes on? What happens to you? What is it, what is it in your life that if it's in place, everything's good? But if it's not, life becomes miserable quickly. It could be, it could be your spouse. 
You know, if everything's right with your spouse, everything's good, or, or is it with your children, or, or for those who are single, if I, you know, right now I'm just really discouraged, but once I find the right person, now I'm going to be happy, there's going to be joy here, once I find the right one. Or, or maybe it's, you know, if I just, you know, what would happen if I lost my job? What, what will I do? What's going to become of us? What's going to happen to my family? So it could be your work. Or if I just get this position right here, if I can just get that, if I can get that position, or if we can just get this much money coming in every month, then we're going to be content. Then we're going to be happy. Maybe it's financial security. Maybe it's your reputation. My reputation is great. Oh, somebody just showed up at the house unexpected. The living room is a mess. What are they going to think about this? What does it take to send you over the cliff? Could be pleasure. Could be the praise of men. But all of us struggle with idolatry. There's something that becomes so important to us that we become completely fixated on how to fix that problem. And here's the sad part, number two. It robs God of worship. Because we don't worship if this isn't the way we think it should be. We don't see worship. The only thing we see a little bit of worship with Lee on, on, on child number four. I will praise the Lord. Rachel, we see no worship whatsoever. And we're talking years. This has been seven years before she has her child. Seven years without worshiping because we've got to have this thing in place. And what happens, number three, it uses God to acquire our idolatrous desire. What was Leah's desire? Leah's desire was, I've got to have more children. Just one more child will bring Jacob to me in love. Just, just one more. Okay, five didn't do it, four didn't do it, three. If, if number six will be the one that does it, or seven or eight, if I get this, this is going to work. And she's beseeching God, not because he's God, because of who he is, so that he can serve the purpose of my idol. So that he can give me what I really want. This, if I just had this, this, this would be, I would be set. And if you'll notice, God gives neither one of the women what they want. Does he? And it deter, it, number four, it deters us from God's purpose for our lives. What's God's purpose for our lives? The Westminster says the chief end of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. Are there things that you want to make right in your life? There sure are. We all have a lot of those, don't we? Do they have to become an idol in our life? No, they don't. If we're about glorifying and enjoying God for who He is, not for what He can give to us. How long does it take us to learn this lesson? 
Well, Lord, I'll, I'll worship. Well, I, I'm going to worship you because we have to go to church and we have to worship today. But really, I'm so focused on this thing, situation right here that if you would just give me this, then I would be much more free to worship you. Really. He's not worthy of worship, whether you have much or whether you have little, whether you have the desires of your heart or whether you don't have the desires of your heart. You know, when you start this chapter, if you focus on the women and all the crazy stuff going on, you go, wow, this is nuts. But it doesn't take long to see yourself there, does it? Can you see yourself as Leah? Just one more. If I can just get one more, he'll love me. Can you see yourself with Rachel? All I need is to catch up with Leah, with children. I've got his love. But that's not enough for me. I've got to have the children. John 4, 23. Remember Jesus is sitting with the woman at the well? And he makes this statement. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Why were you chosen to be part of His family? Why was I chosen to worship Him? And the sin of idolatry is it undercuts that purpose. And we get so sidetracked that he receives no worship from us for who he is and for what he's done. This is why it's so wicked. And this is not a battle that you fight once and you're finished with it. This is a battle you sometimes have to fight hour by hour, day by day, to rejoice in Christ and who he is. And what he's done. Yeah, but the pot's boiling over here. You know, the side of my house is falling down. You know, my car just got smashed in. My bank account just went below whatever. And now I'm getting a warning notice. You know, oh, my, my, my daughter is now dating somebody that she shouldn't be dating. I mean, there's just a whole list of things that what? Take us off our focus on Christ and put it where? Somewhere else. Number five, it steals the joy we should have in the blessings of God. Look at the blessing that Leah had. Look at the children that the Lord gave her, graciously gave her. He didn't have to give her any children. He gave her six and a girl seven. And yet, though she was happy for them, I don't think she's truly enjoyed them. Look at the... Look at the Look at the nieces and look at the nephews that Rachel had that she couldn't enjoy any of them. Every boy that came out was, oh, great, another boy. She rejoiced more in the children of her handmaid than she did of her own sister. They couldn't rejoice that they were in the line of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They couldn't rejoice in the provision that God had made for them. They couldn't, Rachel couldn't rejoice in the fact that Jacob loved her. Her comment is, 
If you don't give me children, I'm going to die. Are we ever that way? We've got blessings all around us. But Lord, if you don't give me this, I'm going to die. Really, let's, let's back up a minute and see what's in that. We've stumbled across a what? An idol. That's what's happened here. So because we have this focus on one thing, all the blessings God gives us, we don't even take time to see them or thank Him for them because we're waiting for Him to do this one thing, whatever it is. Number six, right along with number five, it prevents us from being thankful. When you read Romans 1, the condemnation of people who are turned over to their own desires or people who do not acknowledge God <coughs> and do not give Him thanks. We should be the most thankful people on the earth. No matter what our circumstances, whether we have much, whether we have little, whether all the things we want to have happen have happened or they haven't happened, we, because of our God and who He is and what He's done for us in Jesus Christ, should be a continual feast of thanksgiving 24-7. From the moment we wake up, all through the day, to the day we put, when we put our head on the pillow, His name should be praised. And seven, idolatry replaces God. with whatever our idol is, as the treasure in which we rejoice. We don't love God. When we, when we are focused on our idol, we don't love God. If you want to use the hate-love scenario, we hate God and we love our what? Idol. Because it's taking up all of our thoughts and all of our affection. And all of our figuring and all of our conniving and all of our planning. God is the supreme treasure. Jesus Christ is our supreme treasure. Let's turn to Matthew 13. 44 through 46. kingdom of heaven and I would say the king and his kingdom because they're all together is like the treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in his joy he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field the kingdom of God is worth whatever you have it's worth all that you have it's worth you having nothing and having the kingdom. If you have the kingdom of God and you are destitute, you are a rich person. You are rich. And the next parable is like it. And again, the kingdom of heaven is like a, a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Part of the problem with our idolatry is we don't understand the pearl the treasure that we have. 
We really don't. We don't. We're not in the Word enough. We're not thinking God's thoughts after Him enough. The world is pulling at us over here with trinkets. And we're willing to give away the pearl for the trinket. We're willing to give away the, the treasure for the trinket. Leah gave away the pearl of God and His love for her love for her husband. Rachel gave away this wonderful treasure because she didn't have children that she wanted. Matthew 6.33 talks about how God will give us everything, the food we need, the clothes we wear. And he says in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you. Because of who God is, he deserves our primary focus in life. Irrespective of what our situation is in whatever circumstance we're in, if we're single or if we're widowed or if we don't have children or we're out of work or we've lost our reputation or people don't care about us anymore or we're not loved by whoever, Our focus in the midst of all that should be where? On Him. This is what brings Him glory. This is what brings God glory, is that when you lose X, Y, or Z, that your focus is still on Christ and becomes even more intense. I'll have to admit, I'm working on getting there. That's, this message has been very convicting to me. The Lord is worthy of our worship. Our idols are not. He can turn our idol on its head in one moment. He can do whatever He wants. But many times He tests us to see if we truly do love Him or if we just love the things He's given us. Let's look at Philippians 4, 4 through 8 for the cure. This would be a great verse if you don't have it memorized. To call upon. To recalibrate your thinking. When you've got yourself all focused on your idol and your day is dreary and miserable and no one needs to be around you. Philippians 4 says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, Paul repeats it because you need to hear it, right? Again, I say what? Rejoice. Rejoice where? Rejoice in Him. Put your worship on Him. Put your joy in Him. Put your longings and all the things you want in Him. In Him and Him alone. Let your gentleness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. Why are we anxious? Our idol is tipping over over here. I'm anxious today. Why? Because your idol is getting ready to fall off. Something bad is getting ready to happen to that, that poor little idol. What happened to it? Why do you not have joy? Why do I not have joy? 
Because my attention has gone to the idol, whatever it is. Because if it's focused on Christ, Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His promises are secure. What he's promised, he's going to accomplish. And whatever I go through, in the end, I'm going to be with him. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving. Are you anxious? Pray. Are you anxious? Rejoice in Christ. Are you anxious? Give thanks for all the blessings that are laying all around you that you are totally have forgotten about because you're focused on your idol. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true and noble and right and pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Well, who, what, who does that describe? There's only one that describes our King, Christ, and what He's doing in the world. That's what's pure, lovely, admirable. True. Focus on Him. When we're anxious, put our focus on Him. Now, we had another woman in the Old Testament who had a same similar situation to Rachel. Let's look at Hannah just for a moment. Hannah also was unfortunate enough to be married and have a rival. And if you remember the story, her rival loved to provoke her every chance she got because she had children and Hannah didn't. And what was Hannah's response? Hannah wept, she grieved, but her attention was turned to the Lord. And she began to pray. And remember she went up and prayed before Eli and Eli thought she was drunk? Remember that? Well... The Lord finally answered her prayer and God said, she said, God, if you'll give me a son, I will give him to you. I want you to listen to her prayer after God answered her prayer. Years she went without a child. She said, my heart exalts in the Lord. This is chapter 2, verse 1. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge. And by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken and the feeble bind on strength. Those who were full have hired themselves out for food, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, and she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap. He makes them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, and the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might 
shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the power of his anointed. And she went home, leaving Samuel with Eli. And the scripture says in verse 21, Indeed, the Lord visited Hannah, and she conceived and bore three sons and two daughters. In the midst of Hannah's affliction, who was her focus? The Lord. She breaks out in worship. There is none holy like you. There is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. The difference between Rachel and Hannah. Hannah would not have had a fight in the field over the mandrakes. She wouldn't have. Because her hope was where? Her hope was in the Lord. When we lose sight of the Lord, when we lose sight of his treasure, his value, it becomes a soap opera. We do some silly and some crazy and some sinful and some folly when we lose sight of who our treasure is. Now I want you to notice, finally, that through all this rivalry of these two sisters, and their maidservants, and all the shuffling around, and Joseph going from tent to tent, at the end of it, God gives him 12 sons. In the midst of man's sin, God answers his promise to Jacob. Could he have given him 12 sons without the handmaids? Absolutely. Could he have given him 12 sons with one wife? It would have sure been a lot easier. But in the midst of all the chaos, God faithfully moves forward with his plan to prosper Jacob. And here's the thing, too. This story keeps Jacob and his kin from being in the Hall of Fame as far as people you just want to really be like. But then that's true of us, too, isn't it? As we see our own feet of clay as we see how we go after idols and how we foolishly toss away the most precious treasure, the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, if you're here and you're holding on to an idol and you think that's going to bring you all the joy in life, if you don't know Christ, let go of the idol. Come to him, the pearl of great price the treasure hidden in the field. There is no one like the Lord Jesus. May God impress that upon our hearts. If we're believers and we're holding on to idols, let them go. And put your focus back where it belongs. If you're an unbeliever, let, him, let go of them and embrace Jesus. Only he can save. Only he can give joy. Only he can meet your deepest desires. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you that your word is true 
and that you're always exalted and man is always humbled. And Father, we thank you that you don't sugarcoat the stories in the scripture, but we see these people for who they are because Lord, that's who we are. We are Leah. We are Rachel. We are Jacob. But you are God. And you are our Father. And you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. And you're patient with us as you were with them. Oh, Father, I pray you grant us grace to repent of our idolatry. Give us grace to worship you as you deserve to be worshipped. We ask you to help us to do that by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.